Welcome back to another week in the wonderful world of SAS. You are listening to the official SASTA podcast brought to you by the main man at SASTA, Jason Lemkin, at JasonLK on Twitter, and me, Harry Stebbings of the 20 Minute BC, at HStebbings on Snapchat. Now, for today's show, we are back to interviewing some of the best up and coming founders in the SAS space. Therefore, I'm delighted to be joined by Luke Kirvin. Luke is the co founder and the co CEO of Patient Pop, an all in one solution for patient acquisition reputation management, retention marketing, and business insights. And prior to starting Patient Pop, Luke co-founded Shop Nation, a digital marketing platform that was acquired by Meredith Corporation. Prior to Shop Nation, he was the first executive hire at Star Brand Media, an affiliate marketing platform which was acquired by Pop Sugar. Before we dive in today, though, Jason does not actually know I'm doing this plug, but if you haven't read Jason and Aaron Ross's new book, From Impossible to Inevitable, that really is a must. I so enjoyed it. And have to admit, got many of the questions for the official SASTA podcast from the book. But now for the show, so without further ado, I'm thrilled to pass the mic over to the main man, Luke Curvin at Patient Pop. Good. That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Luke, it's fantastic to have you on the official SASTA podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Harry. Very happy to be here. Now, I'd like to start with a little background on you and how you came to found Patient Pop and what the aha moment was with that. Yeah, of course. So Patient Pop is the third startup that I've worked on, but it's the first software as a service business. The first two companies that I worked on were in affiliate commerce. And so we had built marketing platforms to sell products for e-commerce retailers. And so after we sold the last business, we spent about a year and a half looking for the next opportunity. And so we had our list of criteria and we were out searching for something interesting. And at the same time, my wife happened to be pregnant with our daughter. And so for the first time, I was spending a lot of energy and time in doctor's offices. Uh, Previously, as a healthy 30-year-old, I was in and out every year or two for a physical and wasn't really paying attention. But with a pregnant wife, I was paying attention to the quality of care and service that we were receiving. And I didn't like what I saw. There was a lot of confusion as a first-time parent. There were a lot of different doctor's appointments, a lot of different doctors and specialists, a lot of different tests. It was very confusing for us. And there was late, late appointments, late start times, billing issues. And in my wife's case, they missed a critical test result that could have had a very negative consequence on her pregnancy had it not been caught by a different healthcare provider by accident. And so... My initial idea for this business was to build a platform to help coordinate care for expecting parents. And so my business partner and I went out to validate that idea. And so we scheduled appointments with about a half dozen OBGYNs in Santa Monica. And we learned very quickly that it wasn't a great idea. They told us up front that they were not willing to pay for this type of platform. But while we were talking to them, we started to drill into the types of problems they were having running their practice. And we started to hear a very similar story. Healthcare providers are certainly independent healthcare providers are under a lot of pressure with the changes in healthcare in the U.S. Reimbursement models are changing and independent practices are finding it harder to survive. And so they also, at the same time, recognize that the front door of their practice has moved online, that in order to be successful as an independent practice, they have to win online. And so out of desperation, they've gone out and cobbled together this solution. And that solution consists of, you know, a website that the guy down the street built for them, probably paying Yelp three to $800 a month for reputation management. 
They might be paying ZocDoc 250 bucks a month because they want to have online scheduling. They've hired an SEO consultant. They're paying an agency for PPC advertising. They're paying another vendor for appointment reminders. Someone's doing social media for them. We call that the piecemeal solution. And the piecemeal solution does not work for doctors. They don't have the time to work with all these different vendors. We learned that it was costing them too much. But the biggest frustration was that they felt like it wasn't performing well, and they just didn't know. And so that was the initial sort of kernel of the idea for Patient Pop as it currently stands today. You, you, you mentioned the criteria there, taking it a step way back in terms of when you're in the idea creation phase. And you mentioned the criteria you had in mind when debating what idea to choose. So what was your approach to this criteria for selecting a business idea? What was the criteria itself? Well, when you've worked on a couple of businesses, you realize that not all business opportunities are equal. And so the first business I worked on was a cool idea that my business partner came up with. The second business was a direct extension of that idea. And so with this third business, we were looking back and we recognized that neither of those first two businesses could ever have had a huge, say, multi-billion dollar exit. And so we spent a lot of time thinking about the fundamentals of what makes a great business opportunity. And we came up with a short list. And it sounds very obvious, but a lot of entrepreneurs skip this step and they go immediately to something that they think is a great idea or that they're comfortable with. And once you're into an opportunity, you can't change some of these things. It's very difficult to change markets once you're invested in a business. So what, and so the, so what was the shortlist? The shortlist for us was, number one, we wanted to go into a huge market. And you'll hear that from VCs as well. It's hard to build a big business in a small market. So that was number one, pretty obvious. Number two was that we wanted to solve a huge pain point. A lot of entrepreneurs start businesses that are a nice to have, and we wanted to build a must have product. We were also looking for an opportunity to either be a first mover or to go into a highly fragmented market. So you'll, you'll hear entrepreneurs talk about business ideas and I'll question and I'll think, you know, do you really want to go in and compete with Amazon? The fourth thing for us coming from e-commerce was that we wanted to find uh, a business opportunity that had a combination of a market and a business model that commanded a high valuation multiple. So we were coming from the world of one to two X revenue multiples, and we were looking at other opportunities that could achieve five, 10, in some cases, 12 or 15 X revenue multiples. And lastly, we were looking for a clear way. We wanted to select a business that had a clear way for us to validate the opportunity. And, and, and how did you validate that opportunity then? What was your validation process? So like many entrepreneurs, I've read Steve Blank, Four Steps to Epiphany. You know, what Steve teaches in that, that book is, is very dead on. It's a great idea to go out and validate your business. But I think a lot of entrepreneurs get it wrong. They have an idea in their head. They're following the steps in Steve's book. And they go out to validate their idea. But what of a lot you're really looking to do is you're looking to validate two things. You want to validate number one, demand that someone's willing to buy what you're selling, and then secondly, you want to you want to try to validate product market fit as early as possible. And so I think this is where entrepreneurs get it wrong. They go out and they interview people. And what I've found is that when you're interviewing someone as an entrepreneur, whether it's a friend or a stranger. They want to share positive news and they want to encourage you. And so it's really hard to get good data when you're simply interviewing someone. What we did was that we tested it in a real life scenario. So we had the initial idea from Patient Pop from the interviews we had conducted. 
And we went out and we created a fake business. We created a fake website. We created fake business cards. And we even created a fake brochure with screenshots describing our product. And then we went out and pitched that product to actual customers and sold it as though it was a real business. And we were able to sell the first nine out of nine doctors that we pitched. And to me, that was the moment where I realized that there was very strong demand for the product that we were selling. So that was sort of step one. Step two was that we wanted to validate product market fit. And so what we did was we quickly built an MVP uh, and we went out and signed up a couple of those customers as beta customers. And we tested to see if our product would work. And so over a 30-day period, we launched Patient Pop for three beta customers and we drove great results. We went back and talked to our customers to see if they were happy and they loved the product. And so that was sort of the one-two punch that got us started at Patient Pop. And you mentioned there selling the idea to potential clients and then making the MVP following that sale. So how did the building process of the MVP come about? And to what extent did you integrate those demands of the clients into your product? Yeah, so the goal of an MVP is to validate product market fit as quickly and cost-effectively as possible. And the definition of an MVP is, you know, to me, it's really a lean version of the product, the leanest version of the product with enough features and functionality that allows you to go out to market to see if someone's willing to buy the product and whether it can deliver the expected value. And so in my last business, we spent six months building our MVP. And when I looked back, I realized it had a lot of bells and whistles that I thought were necessary that were not actually necessary. And so our goal at Patient Pop was to really get out there as soon as possible to do, take the next step in validating our business. And so we launched an MVP in eight weeks. And it was really the combination of a product and a service. So the presentation layer was fully built out for the customer, but we had hamster wheels spinning in the background doing a lot of the work. And in most cases, I was the hamster. Um, and, and you mentioned lean version there being the MVP. But, uh, you know, we often hear lean being attributed to team. And before the call, we spoke about your team now compared to a year ago. And it was 12 last year around estimate fee. And now it's how many? We're up to around 130 employees. Today. 130. So 12 to 130 in a year. So, so what's that scaling been like for you? What were the major challenges? And what did you think? Uh, often we ask, like, what did you do wrong? What did you do right? Yeah, so we really had a, a you know a couple of goals in this phase of the business. So getting started, we wanted to build a repeatable, scalable sales model. That's what we were primarily focused on as a company. But we also were focused on recruiting an executive team that could take the company to the next level. Uh, third, we were we were focused on building a strong story for a Series A. Lastly, we were focused on laying the foundation of a great company culture. And so jumping back to number one, building a repeatable, scalable sales model. So initially, uh, Travis, my business partner, and I were the ones out selling the product. But as soon as we had a little bit of traction selling the product, we recognized that in order to raise a Series A and to really validate that we could sell this product, we, needed to, we had to prove that we could hire sales reps off of the street and that they could have the same success selling the product. And so we started with two sales reps, and that was really critical for us. What we found was that one of the sales reps we hired absolutely killed it, and he's moved up in the organization and became, has become a really strong sales leader. But the other sales rep failed miserably and could not sell our product. And I think that's an important lesson. Had we started with one sales rep, 
we may have reached a different conclusion either about our business or our sales model. The other thing that we did that I think was important was that we started selling in the field. So if you're going to sell to a, an SMB, I would recommend starting in the field for a couple of reasons. The main reason being there's very few variables. The second is that you can get started right away. So we hired the sales reps day one. They went into the field with us. We walked into doctor's offices and we started pitching the product. Two or three days later, they had the pitch down and they were off and running. And after we started to get a little bit of traction with those two sales reps, we immediately hired a VP of sales. And I think that's really important. We brought in a VP of sales that had industry experience, so selling in healthcare but also selling to our specific customer segment. And so we didn't want to hire a VP that had come from an enterprise background. We were looking for specifically a VP that had sold to small and medium businesses and healthcare. And we were able to find our VP of sales, Justin Welsh, who had previously worked for a very high-growth startup, ZocDoc, and knew our market really well. And that made all of the difference. He was able to come in and take our sales organization to the next level. And we really started to build a lot of momentum and things scaled up from there. And you spoke about kind of preparing the narrative for Series A there. And and I'm right in saying you recently raised your Series A? That's correct. So A, congratulations on that. But then I want to talk about preparing yourself for that and kind of um, readying yourself with the narrative. So what did that process like in the preparation for Series A? Yeah, of course. So we did something a little bit strange, I think. We hired a CFO after about two and a half months of being in the market. And so we had seven or eight people sitting around in a very small office, and one of them was a CFO. And some people questioned why we wanted to bring in a CFO at that stage. But the reason we did it is because the founding team did not have any SaaS experience. And the individual we brought in had been a CFO in SaaS businesses for 15 years. And so we wanted to have that operational experience on our team, and it made a huge difference. What we learned very quickly was, you know, as a software, as a service business, to qualify for a strong Series A you need to have approximately be at around 100K in monthly recurring revenue, and you need to be showing strong growth month over month, and also to have some initial data on churn or customer satisfaction. And so once we had plotted out those metrics, we went out to validate them in the market and put together a strong case for a Series A. So your CFO was employee number seven, eight? Something like that, yeah. And, and did you get some very strange onlookers looking at you when you made that decision? Your seed investors, maybe? A little bit, yeah. People were sort of scratching their heads, right? We didn't have any revenue, but yet we had a CFO. But, you know, CFOs do more than accounting and manage finance. You know, this, this particular individual came in and he had a, a, you know, a seat at the table and he was helping us make key strategic decisions early on. And I want to dive into a quick fire round with you now called the 60 Second Saster. Um, so I say a short statement and you give me your immediate thoughts. Sound good? Absolutely. So Sounds great. as you said, first time SaaS founder, what's been the most challenging element of the journey for you? So for us, we've scaled from 12 to 130 employees over the last year year. And for us, the biggest challenge was overcoming bottlenecks. We were able to see some of them coming, but we missed others. And so for us, the key bottlenecks were hiring, onboarding, training, and building a management team. Okay. Talking of building a management team, on again, off again, hiring. Are you a fan of it? Do you prefer kind of segmented hiring where you do it all in quick succession or are you a continuous hire? We spend a lot of time on planning. So, you know, we brought in our CFO really early and had a great operational plan. In most cases, we knew exactly what bodies we wanted to hire and when we wanted to hire them. 
but at some point it becomes challenging, right? When you need to hire 20 bodies quickly, you really need to build a hiring machine. And so we decided early on to, or as soon as we started to, to hit that bottleneck, we decided to bring in a full-time recruiter and a full-time trainer for our teams. And then you're co-CEO uh, of Patient Pop. So how does that relationship dynamic work? VCs generally do not like co-CEOs, we learned. And I think generally, generally, they are right. It's not an ideal solution because it can create confusion within an organization. But we've made it work very well. And in order to make it work, you have to have very clear reporting lines, a clear division of responsibilities. And I think you have to have very rational egos. So Travis, my partner, and I have worked together across four different businesses now. We've been working together for eight years, and we leverage our co-CEO titles to the, advan- to the advantage of the company. And then what resource has been the most formative to you in, in the building process of Patient Pop? I refer quite often to Saster. Saster is great if you have specific questions that you need to have answered. For example, how to compensate a VP of sales, right? That's something that we hadn't done before. I Googled it or went on to Quora, up popped an article from Saster. And so we leveraged Saster quite heavily. Fantastic. Always good to hear. Um, and then back to the normal round and, and no need for the quick fire. Uh, I want to finish today by discussing the first 12 months for you with Patient Pop and hitting 2 million ARR uh, in those first 12 months. So talk to me about that, how you scaled so fast when you feel you really hit PMF, not you know not with the nine first customers, but when you really hit market traction and, and how you can optimize from here. Yeah, so once once we sort of got going, we recognized very early that we we had to build a scalable team. We had our operational plan. It showed that we had to hire, you know, 100 people in the next year. And so very early on, we brought in our executive team. And so we we hired our VP of engineering in month 1, our customer success lead in month 1, our CFO in month 3, our VP of sales in month 6, and shortly followed by our VP of marketing. So within 7 months, we had a full executive team. That was really key. Second, we had to build build scalable team operations. And so I mentioned we brought in a recruiter and we brought in a trainer. So we had to streamline hiring and onboarding. Uh, one, One bottleneck that we missed was the need for middle management. And so we learned very quickly that to manage a team, you really have to have proper ratios. You shouldn't have... For every 8 to 12 employees, you should have one manager. And so we had to put that, put that in place. Second, we, we built out a goal distribution system. You know, once, once the team scales beyond a certain point, uh, as a CEO and even as an executive team, you lose the ability to directly manage the team, and it's, and it's really all about influence. Mm-hmm. And so we found it was super important to set company-wide goals that every employee understood that cascaded down throughout the organization. So our goal was to make sure that everyone in the company knew what we were fighting for and they knew how their individual role contributed. The third thing we did was we had really clear metrics. And so we built our entire organization on top of Salesforce, both sales and operations. And so we have clear metrics measuring against all of the corporate goals and individual goals across the company. And then lastly, you really have to, everything has to become scalable. So, you know, the, the first you know, 500K in ARR is a knife fight in a foot race. You can brute force it. But at some point, you really have to make everything scalable, sales, marketing, customer success. And, and there's so many things to unpack there, but I, I have to pick up on a couple. We've just had customer success week with Gainsight uh, on the show. So I'm intrigued to hear how kind of pivotal customer success is for you as a strategy going forward um, and how you implement it into your time with Patient Pop. 
Yeah, absolutely. So step number one for us in starting the business was to find product market fit. Step number two is to build a repeatable, scalable sales model. If you can't do those two things, you don't have a business. But once you have those two nailed down, customer success is the whole game. If you're not successful at customer success as a software as a service business, you will fail. And so as an organization, our number one value is to win customer love. We are obsessed with doing great, great work for our customers. And it's something that we talk a lot about at Patient Pub. And you said about company-wide goals, too. That was one of your uh, kind of missions. And so how do you imbue these goals and visions throughout the entirety of the company? What's the tactics to get that throughout the team? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a monthly all-hands. Everyone in the company joins. Every all-hands, we go through our seven corporate goals. So it's it's repetitive. But I think it's important that everyone really understand and memorize the seven corporate goals that we're fighting for. And then each manager is responsible for taking those goals and breaking them down for their team. And as I mentioned, we're measuring success against those goals in Salesforce. So we have key metrics that we're tracking company-wide for each team and each, each individual. And then I want to finish today on, on a final macro question, which we haven't actually discussed in the schedule, but I'm intrigued as to the competitive environment surrounding patient pop. What does that look like today? And how do you expect it to progress in the future? So I always say we, we sort of compete with everyone and no one. We're really disrupting the, the agencies that are serving healthcare. So there's thousands of companies, little companies across the U.S. that are building websites and doing marketing and building, you know, point solutions for healthcare providers. But Patient Pop is really, we call ourselves a practice growth platform. And we're really the only comprehensive automated solution for helping your practice grow. Well, Luke, it's been absolutely fantastic to have you on the show today. I've so enjoyed hearing about your incredible growth with Patient Pop and look very forward to seeing you in the future. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Again, a huge hand to Luke for giving up his time to be on the show. And if you enjoyed the show with Luke today and do not want to leave the world of Sasta, you can follow Jason Lemkin on Twitter at JasonLK. Likewise, you can follow me on Snapchat at HStebbings. Or for all the incredible articles like Luke mentioned in the show, then you can head over to Sasta.com. That's S-A-A-S-T-R.com. And do not forget to check out Jason and Aaron's new book, From Impossible to Inevitable. It really is one of my favorites and, as I said, forms the foundation for much of the content in Sasta's show. Likewise, I want to say again how grateful I am to you for all your support. If you ever have any questions, then do email me, harry at the 20minutevc.com, and we look very forward to bringing you our episode on Friday.